0: up your Bible to Genesis chapter 30. That's where we're going to be at this morning, continuing on through our study. Genesis chapter 30. And we're going to be picking back up in verse 25. Genesis 30, chapter 30, verse 25, through the end of chapter, verse 43. And when we began last week, um, we were reading about two sisters, or the tale of two sisters, so to speak, and um, uh, they were named Leah and Rachel, and these two sisters uh, had become the wives of Jacob, the, the descendant and heir of Isaac, and even though we are told in our account from last week that Jacob had favored Rachel, who was the younger sister, and that he loved her more Then Leah, who was the older, who had the birthright, and who had had become uh, Jacob's wife first, were told that even though Rachel was loved more, that she envied her sister because We know that Leah had given birth. Leah was fertile. She could give birth, and she conceived and gave birth to four sons. And during that time, and even some time after that, we know that Rachel was not able to conceive children. She was barren, and she gave no children to Jacob. And and, and consequently, Rachel's envy, as we talked about this last week, that was the envy that motivated um, Rachel uh, or moved her to give her handmaid to Jacob, and the handmaid was supposed to act as a surrogate so that Rachel might also have children. But this kind of backfired in the sense, in the sense that it only caused uh, Leah, who had or Leah, who had her own insecurities, partially because um, she wasn't loved by Jacob in the way that he loved Rachel. Um, but it caused her own insecurities, this act by her sister, to rise up. And she responded. by giving her own handmaiden to Jacob as a wife. And as a result, from these two handmaids and Leah, uh, between the three of these women, ten boys and one daughter were born to Jacob. But in the total of the story that we were reading about in the first verses of this chapter, we see that these two sisters' lack of contentment and unwillingness to wait on God's provision, it ultimately brought much strife and much heartache into their home. Furthermore, they weren't the only ones to blame as a result of that. We know that Jacob had an active part of this. And frankly, Jacob's lack of godly leadership is what provided the fertile ground for this conflict to not only sprout, but to grow and bear this fruit of these great wrestlings that were going on as it was described that way for us in the text last week within this family between these two sisters. And when we ended last week, we stopped in Verse 24. And in the final verses of that chapter, or of that of that section that we are reading through, we see that Rachel was able to conceive, and she didn't remain barren. That God saw her, and He had uh, uh, mercy towards her, and 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 um, she eventually conceived, and she gave birth to her own son, which she named Joseph. But even though this blessing from God, this son, which was which Rachel described as a gift from God, which removed her reproach is how she saw it. In one sense, we saw that um, Rachel also had this root of lack of contentment, even after receiving a blessing from God, and um, she was uh, she had lack of contentment with what God had given to her, what God had graciously given to her, and, and that she had one son, and while these other women had more than one, and and so she refused to be satisfied with what God had provided, and. And we were talking about godliness with contentment is great gain. And, and, and ultimately, she didn't experience that. And in verse 24, she said this as a as her as a as a sign or as an expression of her lack of contentment. Right after Joseph was born, and she said this, The Lord shall add to me another son. Still longing for something more, something something other than what God had provided. And as we read on now in verse 25 and finish this chapter, it says this, it says then, and it came to pass when Rachel had born Joseph that Jacob said to Laban, remember Laban is the father-in-law and, and, and Jacob and Laban have a history already together of some deception and some trickery and, and the relationship wasn't always that great. And he came to him and he said, Jacob came to Laban and said, send me away that I may go to my place and to my country. Give me my wives and my children for what I have served you, and let me go, for you know my service, which I have done for you. And, verse 27, Laban said to him, Please stay, if I have found favor in your eyes. And Jacob probably could have gone and said, Well, really, you hadn't. But, anyway, he said, For I have learned, this this is what Laban said, For I have learned by experience. That's significant. I've learned by experience, that the Lord has blessed me for your sake. Then he said, name me your wages and I will give it. Sounds really familiar, doesn't it? Name me your wages and I'll, I'll give it to you. And so Jacob said to him, you know how I have served you and how your livestock have been with me. For what you had before I came was little and it was increased to a great amount. The Lord has blessed you since my coming. And now, when shall I also provide for my own house? He's making his case. So he said, well, what shall I give you? And Jacob said, you shall not give me anything. In other words, you tried giving me something before. He says, however, if you will do this thing for me, I will again feed and keep your flocks. Very specific in, in it this time. In verse 32, he said, let me pass through all of your flocks today removing from there the speckled and spotted sheep and the brown ones among the lambs and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and these shall be my wages. So my righteousness will answer for me in time to come. Or more literally, what he's referring to is the fact that, that God, will, God will provide for him, is what he's saying, and that he's an honorable and just man, that he'll hold true to the deal, and God will, will provide for him. And that's really what that's, that, that, that phrase there is. So my righteousness will answer for me in the, in, in the time to come. When the subject of my wages comes before you, everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and the brown and among the lambs will be considered stolen if it is with me. And Laban said, Oh, that it were according to your word. And he removed that day, and this is Laban, and he removed that day the male goats that were speckled and spotted, and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had some white in it, and the brown ones among the lambs, and gave them into the hands of his sons. And he put he put three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob fed the rest of Laban's flocks. There should be a little insert right there, at least it's in my Bible, it says scoundrel. <laughs> now Jacob took for himself rods of green poplar and almond and chestnut trees and peeled the strips in them and exposed them, or and exposed the white which was in the rods. And the rods which he had peeled he set before the flocks in the gutters and the watering troughs where the flocks came to drink, so that they should conceive when they came to drink. So the flocks conceived before the rods, and the flocks brought forth streaks, speckled, and spotted. Then Jacob separated the lambs, and made the flocks face towards the streaked face toward the streaked, and all of the brown in the flock of the Laban uh, flock of Laban, but he put his own flocks by themselves and did not put them with Laban's flocks. And it came to pass, whenever the stronger livestock conceived, that Jacob placed the rods before the eyes of the livestock's, livestock in the gutters that they might conceive among the rods. But when the flocks were feeble, he did not put them in, so the feebler were Laban's and the stronger were Jacob's. Thus the man exceedingly Thus the man became exceedingly prosperous. He had large flocks, female and male servants, camels and donkeys. Lord, let's pray. Lord, as we read through these verses, God, I'm reminded of the fact that um, you make good on your promises to us even when the enemy and others stand in the way or come against us. And Lord, this is a such a great reminder because um, as strangers, Father, as sojourners, those who are passing through, um, God, we, we often think that the prosperity or the blessing is all about this life, and it's just not. And Lord, you do promise to provide and, and protect us and to meet every one of our needs, but Father, please this morning help us, Lord, to remember that no matter what goes on on this earth, whether we are, we are rich or whether we are poor, um, God that we have great treasure being stored up for us in heaven because of our faith in your Lord Je- in your in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and lord even even in this life we know that you're looking out for us and God, we know that this world is contrary to you and therefore it's contrary to us and Lord, we know that we have um, the adversary of our own flesh that desires God to do things our own way rather than exercising faith and and holding fast to the things that you've called us to. So, Father, as we read about Jacob and this interaction again with Laban, and Lord, to see how you blessed him, even in spite of his his foolishness, as he exercised uh, faith in you, I pray, God, that we would be encouraged this morning to do the same. And, Father, as we set aside the the, the end of this service with worship and, and time of prayer, I pray, God, that as we study your word, and um, if there's something that we need to bring before you, a request, or just to confess and to lay something down at your feet. I pray, God, that you would prompt us of that so that when we pray together at the end of service, Lord, um, that our hearts would be in a place to cry out to you in a a real and genuine way. Lord, that you would hear us and receive us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Now, picking back up in verse 25, as we look back... <clears throat> we see a transition with the birth of Joseph and with the birth of jo- with the birth of joseph we 're told that Jacob went to his father in law really to to ask permission is, is the idea that we 're being given here to return to the land of Canaan back to his his father's where Abraham was at and his mother uh, uh, Rachel and, and 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 technically Jacob didn't need to really ask for Laban's permission to leave, considering he had completed all of the years of service that he had promised to him. And and Jacob even re- refers to that. And not only had Jacob given the fourteen years for the the two the two daughters who became his wife, he had given much more than that. And and even continued to serve in the midst of the deception and how he had been deceived. And nevertheless, we read here that Jacob sought. Uh, to honor his father-in-law, and he sought to leave in a peaceable way. And it's just a reminder for us that as believers, we're called to, as much as is up to us, to be at peace with all men, with with all of those around us, making sure that we're doing our part as unto the Lord. And, and we see that taking place with, with Jacob here. Furthermore, we need to understand that this asking to leave at this time, it was really a maneuver on Jacob's behalf. It was a maneuver by Jacob in order to strike up this next deal that we read about in the following verses. You see, during these um, during these years, Jacob that Jacob had been working for Laban, he had he had acquired really nothing more than Rachel. And, and Leah, and, and, and of course the sons and the, the children that were born to him. Uh, but that's all that he acquired was Rachel and Leah through, through Laban. And, and, and in, even though during this time of, of uh, Jacob's service, we, we see that Laban had experienced a great increase. And, and however, if Jacob was to leave with his family, he could only leave with his family, all the flocks um, uh, 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 were, were Jacob's, and he would have nothing of his, or were, were uh, Laban's, and so he would have nothing of his own to support his family. So there had to be an exit plan. <coughs> Excuse me. And when we get into chapter 31, uh, we see that the events that we're reading about here were, were guided by God, in other words, Jacob going to Laban and, and explaining these things and asking these things, these things were all guided by God who had come to Jacob and he had spoke this specific plan to Jacob in a dream. And in light of this, we can see that this stirring to go back to his own country, to the land of Canaan, was the result of God calling Jacob back. And, and I often wonder if, if, if Jacob hadn't had that dream with God that Jacob may have just stayed there. And and obviously, God had a plan. God had a purpose. And um, even though Jacob was was content with his family and and doing what he was doing there, his purpose in life was to be in the land of Canaan. Remember, the land of Canaan was the land that God had promised to give to the descendants of Abraham. It was a covenantal promise that God had made to Abraham when he called him out of Ur, the land of the Chaldeans. (coughs) And um, God had promised that Abraham's descendants would inherit the, law, the land, and um, that these promises that God had spoken of an inheritance of, the, of this land that God was taking him to, it had been dan- handed down through Abraham and to Isaac, his son, and from Isaac, his son, to Jacob. And now that Jacob had been blessed, there's this transition that we see going on here now with the birth of, of Joseph. We see that now that Jacob had been blessed with all these sons who were to inherit the land... It was time for them to return and dwell in a place that God had called them to. Excuse me, the place that God had given to them. And God was going to see to it in the process that Jacob didn't leave empty-handed. For God had also promised to provide for Jacob. You remember? He'd also promised to prosper Jacob. Uh, 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 But this would require Jacob to exercise faith. And, and, and it's a cool repeated theme that we've been reading through with, with Abraham as we've seen it with his life and also Isaac with his life is that these promises that God had spoken and, that, that, and the blessings that God had provided was always, a, it was always alongside this call to take a step of faith. You know, from the very beginning with Abraham coming out and God saying, come, I want to bless you. Take the step of faith. It's for you. You don't have to do anything. All you got to do is come and receive it. And such was the case here now, as God had a plan. And all he was asking Jacob to do was to step out in faith, (coughs) to trust him, and to to enact the plan, and God would, would prosper him. And so Jacob came to Laban in order to strike up a deal. The deal that that the, that, the in, in regards to the plan that God had spoken to Jacob and, and Laban who um who who believed through this process that the, the that he had got the best of Jacob, if you remember the very first time that they had had made a deal together, Jacob of course was more than willing to make another deal for lots of reasons. He, he did not want Jacob to leave. Uh, and, 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 and you can see that he cared very little about Leah and Rachel and the grandkids. Later on, when Jacob does decide to leave, you'll see some interest in that. And even in that, there was some underlying things. But, but Laban was more concerned about the prosperity, right? The material things that he had gathered as a result of, of, of Jacob being there. And of course, he wanted more than that. And right away, we see Laban doing what he had previously done, and, 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 and he really tried to entice Jacob, you know, the carrot on the end of the stick. Here, look what you can have, and, and never yet being able to obtain it. And, and he was trying to entice Jacob by inviting him again in verse 29 to name his wage. Just name your wage, and, and I'll give it to you. You know, as I could picture him doing one of these, <laughs> you know, trying to lure him into his trap. Again, and in the course of the conversation that we read about here in these first verses, we see Laban's willingness to give Jacob a wage if he remain. We see his willingness to do this was rooted in the fact that he didn't want Jacob to leave because he had been financially blessed, even recognized that it was God who was blessing him through Jacob since Jacob had been around. In fact, Laban said in verse 27, he said there, I pointed it out, it says, for I have learned by experience that the Lord has blessed you for my or bless me for your sake. And what Laban was really saying is the result of God's blessing upon Jacob, right? As a result of God's blessing on Jacob, he in turn was also being blessed. Thank you. Appreciate that. There was a time in my life when I worked at uh, uh, Jim 66, Sturikas, there on Main Street. And uh, I got hired there, and it, and it was a God thing. But Steve Starica's, uh is, is, I like the guy a lot. And uh, he was a, a difficult man to work for at times. But uh, the, the point of the story is not as difficult. The point of the story is, is, the, is the business, he, he took over the business, bought it from his father, and um, it, it was in one sense kind of struggling and uh, he hired me, and, and when he hired me, there was two other people who were going to this church who were, who were, who were believers who went to work about the same time. And, and, and in addition to that, there was another devout Christian who was working there, and, and, and it was a small business, but we made up a big portion, uh, believers did, of the workforce that was there. And the cool thing about it is is within about a year's amount of time of of us working there, and and really it wasn't because of us, it was because God was blessing us (coughs) who worked there, is is that Steve's business quadrupled four times of what it was doing in one year. And and literally the business began to make millions of dollars, so much so that he just left it to us and said, "Run it," and he went and he went and played. He rode his Harleys and he went out of town and he traveled, and, and 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 that was all good in one sense. But, but and I don't know if Steve ever recognized it, but truly I recognized it, and those Christians who I work with understood it too. Is because God was blessing us, and as a result, Steve and the others in the business were being blessed as well. And 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 in the sense, that's the same thing here. You know, when we do our work, when we live our lives in a way that is honoring to God and putting him first and God's blessing is pouring out on our lives, if we're in turn living the way that God wants us to, that blessing is naturally gonna flow out to the lives of those around us, to believers and unbelievers alike. And, 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 and they may or may not recognize it, but in, in Laban's sense, he, he's seen it. And it's interesting to note that even Laban, who was an idol-worshiping pagan, okay, because he was, By all means, he was an idol-worshipping pagan. It's interesting to see that he saw that there was something different with Jacob, and he was able to recognize that it was God's hand. In light of this, I wonder if those around us who we work with, who we go to school with, who we live by, I wonder if those around us are experiencing God by being around us. Do those around you experience God simply because they are around you. In other words, are people whom God has placed in our lives experiencing God because of us? And are they seeing God's or seeing through God's hand upon us the fact that God is a good God? That God is a gracious God. In other words, are we living, are we playing, and are we working as unto the Lord? So that God might be seen and glorified, glorified through our lives. Remember Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 in verses 13 through 16 he said this He said you are the salt of the earth but if the salt loses its flavor how shall it be seasoned it is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled on underfoot by men He said you are the light of the world a city that is on the set on the hill cannot be hidden <coughs> nor do they Light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Therefore, let your light so shine before men so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And this was Laban. But even though Laban was experiencing God through Jacob, we need to understand what we need to understand is that God through Jacob was making himself known to Laban. That's, that's ultimately what's going on. And, and there was some point at our lives, in our lives before, and there's people who we can look back upon <laughs> at times before we gave our lives to Christ that we can go, you know what, I knew who Jesus was and God showed himself to me through this person and through that person and through another person. And God was making himself known to us, perhaps through a grandparent, or through a, a mother and a father, or, 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 or even if you went to a church, maybe even through a, a pastor or someone in that church, a, a man or a woman older in the Lord who was discipling you, and that God was making himself known to you through them. And that's God's desire, is that, is that men and women, the lost world, would know him through us, and, 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 and God desired even for Laban to know him, and he was doing this through, <clears throat> through the time that Jacob was spending there. But sadly, what we see in the text is all that Laban desired was, was the temporal things of this life, right? He just wanted the goodies. He just wanted the blessings, as he only cared about what he could get, and he did not care to experience God or to know him for himself, Sadly, this is true for many people who only want what God can give them rather than wanting to know God or wanting to experience God for themselves. And and these same things were evident in in the large crowds of people that followed Jesus when he was walking the earth. And in John chapter 6, we're told of a time when when Jesus had fed the the crowd of the 5,000. You remember? He fed them with the five loaves of bread and the two fish. And, and shortly after he fed them, he rose up the next morning to, to go away. And the, it says the crowds followed him. And, and, um, and, and Jesus stopped and he talked to him. And they were wanting him to give him some more bread and to give him some more food. And, <clears throat> and, 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 and they were only following him. These crowds were at that point because he put food in their bellies. Kind of like the politicians today. People follow them because they put food in their bellies. And of course, Jesus is nothing like the politicians because because Jesus confronted this. And he he said, basically, he said to him, listen, guys, the, the only reason you're following me is because of what I can give you. You have no interest to know me. And that's when Jesus said, you know, if you want to follow me, he said, the one who wants to follow me must eat my flesh and drink my blood. And what Jesus said in that, he said, listen, I am the bread of life. And what Jesus was pointing out was their greater need, that they should come to him because of the spiritual need, not because of the temporal things of this life that would pass away, but because of the fact that he had eternal life to give them. This bread that he was, that they were desperately in need of. Unfortunately, guys, all too often... We who have experienced God and have come to know God, we too can be fickle in our relationship with Him in regards to wanting Him or wanting the things that He can give us. Can we not? We can be fickle. In that, as long as things are going the way we expect or as long as we're getting what we want, you know, we commit ourselves to Jesus. Yay, Jesus! And we glorify God by the way we live our lives and by the things that we speak. But there are those times when things change, when things don't go the way that we expect, or when we're not getting what we want. And, and in those moments, we can be quick to stop giving thanks. We can be quick to stop rejoicing. And, and sadly, in those times and in those moments, our praise is replaced by complaint. So even though Laban, here in our text, had experienced God through 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 Jacob and his presence and God's blessing flowing through Jacob and into those around him, specifically Jacob, we see that his desire for Jacob to remain with them was was rooted or, or excuse me, it was, it was in order that he might just get something more for himself. That was, that was Jacob's, uh, Laban's full intention. And not only that, he was looking to get more for himself because he saw Jacob as kind of this, this sucker who he could dope into tricking him into getting more from him. He let him do all the work and he'd take advantage of him. <clears throat> but what we see is that God was looking out for Jacob. And you know what, guys? When we do the things that God calls us to do, God's got our back as well. He's looking out for us. And God was looking out for Jacob. And in verse 28, we read on, and it says, again, it says, Then he said, Name name me your wages, and I will give it to you, Laban said. So Jacob said to him, You know how I have served you and how your livestock has been with me. He's laying out a resume. For what you have had before I came to this came was little, and it was and it has increased to a great amount and I love what Jacob says here too because it's, not only is it an affirmation it's an acknowledgement it 's not only an agreement with Laban, but it's an acknowledgement that goes much deeper, and he says, "The Lord has blessed you since my coming." It wasn't because Jacob was this great herdsman, you know he, he, he knew these wonderful ways of bringing increase to the flocks you know he was a, he was a soft Tent-dwelling man before he came here. You know, he had probably never fed any animal. That was, that was his brother's job. Jacob was, was in the tent with his mom. He was not qualified to do this. And he recognizes, he says, the Lord that has blessed you since, since my coming, you know? And now he says, when shall I provide for my own house? Again, his motive or his intention behind it. So he said, what shall I give you? And Jacob said, "You shall not give me anything. <laughs> if you will do this thing for me, I will again feed you, or I will again feed and keep your flocks. Just let me pass through all the flocks today, removing from there the speckled and spotted sheep, and all the brown ones among the lambs, and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and these shall be my wages. So my righteousness will be my answer for me in the time to come, when the, way, when the subject of my wages come before you, every one that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and the brown among the lamb will be considered stolen if it is with me now i got to point out here that from a world's point of view this deal that jacob made with his father-in-law makes it seem like laban was again going to get the best of jacob from a world's point of view considering Jacob had negotiated for what would have been the lesser by asking for the animals of the flock that were spotted or speckled. Nevertheless, when Laban told Jacob to name his wage and that he would give it to him, Jacob, in verse 30, first acknowledged by way of an agreement, as I already mentioned, that the Lord had been the one to bless Laban since he had come. And this is very important because it reveals What it reveals, first of all, is that something had changed inside of Jacob. (laughs) Something had changed inside of Jacob. And that um, it also reveals that Jacob knew what he was doing at this time. Even in, an, in the appearance of making a bad deal from the very beginning. The point is, Jacob had learned that Laban was a deceiver who would try to deceive him and take advantage of him. And this is further revealed in verse 31, when Jacob first responded to Laban and said, This time you shall not give me anything. I remember what happened last time you, quote unquote, gave me something, father-in-law. Got Leah instead of Rachel. And, and, and he says, you're not going to give me anything. And in doing so, then he went to negotiate the terms, clearly saying, if you do this, I will feed and keep your flocks. But not only did Jacob learn that Laban was a deceiver who could not be trusted, we see that during the, 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 the previous years, the 16 plus previous years, of which, were, which was a time of trial for Jacob. But again, those various trials that come upon us, are they not the testing of our faith, as James says? And that's what we see here. It was a time of refining. It was a time of testing. And, and through that time, what we see here by that acknowledgement of the one that, uh, that Jacob acknowledges that God had done this, we see that, that Jacob is learning to not only acknowledge God, but to put his trust in God and not in himself. Because I guarantee you, this would not have been a Jacob deal. A deal that Jacob would have made on his own. And you see, this plan to ask for the spotted and speckled animals, which were, which were basically not the pure breed of the flock, it would let Laban think or believe that he was getting the better end of the deal. After all, the under, under and, and, uh, hear me clearly, under natural circumstances. Um, more of the purebred animals would have been born and not many of the spotted and speckled animals. However, what appeared to be a good deal for Laban was something that Jacob, it, it was not something that Jacob had conceived on his own. Rather, this too was a part of, of the plan that God had spoken to Jacob. And when, again, when we get to chapter 31, Jacob will explain this. He'll say, God had come to me in a dream and told me this is what I should do. Nevertheless, what we see here in verse 34 is that which must, with much enthusiasm, Laban agreed to the deal. And we see that, that Laban agreed not only, not only because he believed he was getting the better of the deal, but because he also thought he could outsmart Jacob once again and take advantage of him. In light of this, it's important to point out that God's ways, and this is, this is going to not sound profound, but... When you, when you play it out in our lives, guys, this is so profound. It's such a profound thing that we often just seem to bypass in our daily lives. But in light of this, it's important to point out that God's ways and God's understanding of things goes well beyond ours. And you're like, yeah, he's God. We're not. His, his ways and his understanding of things go way beyond ours. I know this is something that none of us would stand up and deny because it just makes good sense to say that an all-knowing and an all-powerful and ever-present God would know more and know better than we do. Right? Right? An all-knowing, a God who knows everything, a God who is all-powerful and can be everywhere at once is a God who would know more and know better than we do. And he does, and that's who he is. However, when it comes to doing things God's way, we struggle. We struggle with letting go of what seems right to us because it seems right to us. And we struggle with letting go because God's God's ways are often contrary to our way of thinking and always contrary to the natural man's way of thinking. Furthermore, not only is God's ways contrary to our way of thinking, this is the truth. God's ways are contrary to the world's ways of doing things. Every time. In this truth, it becomes ever so clear to us, I think, by the words that Jesus spoke in Luke chapter 6. In verses 27 through 30 where Jesus said this. <clears throat> this is kingdom ways, God's ways versus, versus the world's ways or our flesh way. And he said, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Huh? Right? That's not, that's not the world's ways. That's certainly not Sean Maher's ways. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on the cheek, hit them before they can hit you back. No, I mean, that's the that's world's way, right? I mean, this becomes so evident in these kingdom things that Jesus spoke on the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, again, to him who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic. So if they take your coat, give him your hat. Give to everyone who asks of you, and from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. And I think there is no doubt that doing these things God's way is going to be contrary to our way of thinking and contrary to the world's way of doing things. And that seems to be the hard thing because we know, we go, God, if we do this, no one, the, the people we're doing this for they're not going to respond in a like way. As a matter of fact, they're going to be like Laban and they're going to see it as an opportunity to just take advantage of me, God. To hurt me and to hurt those around me. Don't you know these things, God? And God says, my ways are not your ways. My understanding is far above yours. You know, and even though we've all had individual experiences where God in His understanding has asked us to do things that doesn't make sense to us, doing them, requires faith. Faith in someone who we believe to be greater than us. And faith is what enabled Jacob to enter into the second deal with Laban in a deal that did not make much worldly sense. He, When I first moved here, I have all these mechanic stories this morning. I don't know why, but that's what my past is, mechanic by trade. And when I first moved here, When we moved here to start the church, first of all, I didn't have a job, Uh, uh, and uh, I had interviewed like a month prior to coming out, moving out here. I interviewed for a job at the Chevrolet dealership working for Vern Linder. And um, they're like, well, yeah, you meet all the qualifications, but we need you to start tomorrow. We need somebody now. I'm like, well, I'm not going to be here for at least another month. Well, we're not gonna we're not gonna hold the job for you. I said, "Oh, okay, I completely understand." They said, "Well, when you get here, let us know you're here, and, and we'll see what'll happen." When well, we moved out here, actually, my wife and my kids flew out, and I drove out with my dad, and and we got here and we got settled. And about three or four days after getting here, I go there, and they had never filled the position. It was a miraculous thing. It, it just doesn't happen like that. I was a service writer and, uh, of the dealership there, and. And um, so they, they sat down with me in, in a much like a Laban moment like this and just tell us what you want. We'll give it to you. It wasn't quite like that. But there was this um, guy there. It was the HR guy. His name was Ted. And um, Ted's one of these guys I have a hard time still even today with just settling forgiveness in my heart. And um, they had set up a the way that it works in the service rider industry and you come in to get your car worked on is is that the service rider makes a percentage of his pay comes directly off of what he can sell to you. It's a commission based job. It's a base plus commission. And the base is 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 enough just to make the legal requirements of what the, the, the minimum wages are. And so I moved here and, and, and I had left a job uh, back in Washington State, making more money than I had ever made in my entire life. I was, I was 24, 23, something like that. And um, so when I came here, they're like, they're like, this is the pay scale. And, um, uh, and I looked at it, and I go, I'm thinking based upon what I did back in Washington State, which was a, a city about the size of Colorado Springs, where we were from, and and I didn't understand that Kansas City was a much smaller community. I mean, I understood it was smaller, but I just didn't get it at the time. Um, you had a Walmart, right? So at, back then, and 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 I'm thinking to myself, well, I have this many mechanics, and so I did all the math in my head, and I'm like, good deal, let's do it. And so I, I was I was grateful to have a job, by the way, at, at all. And so. And I signed up for it, and it was one of these things where God just, again, just poured out his blessing on my life, and, and, and we began to do so much business there, and my mechanics were so, so prosperous that I was making more money initially here than I was making back in Washington State. Well, that didn't go over so well with Ted and HR and Vern Linder. And, and I remember after about three months of working here and making way more money than they had ever hoped to pl- plan to pay me, even though they were making the majority of it right on a commission-based thing, they called me into my office and said, well, we need to refigure some things. And they rewrote my entire play plan so that I was making half as much as what I was. I was so mad. I went back home, and, and um, I wasn't always the calm and cool collective kind of guy that I am today. I went back home and and it was really one of these moments where, where God had said, do you trust me? The plan was, Sean, to move you out here and the plan was, Sean, to provide for you. And so it was one of these things where where God knew more than I knew, and God's ways were high above my ways. And and I really had to come to the place where I submitted myself to God and not to Vern or Ted that was over me there and go, okay, God, I'll do it. And yeah, I took a pay decrease big time by doing that, but God still provided for me because the provision wasn't in how much I made because God provided for us in, in other ways, in miraculous ways, in unnatural ways. But it required Faith. And faith is, again, what enabled Jacob to enter into the second deal. Faith is what enabled me to enter into the second deal that I entered into, even though it didn't make much worldly sense, even though there was a betrayal. And so in verse 34, we read on and it tells us, it says, And Laban said, Oh, that it were according to your word. So he removed that day the male goats that were speckled and the spotted, and all the female goats that were speckled, and spotted everyone that had some white in it, and all the brown ones and the lambs, and gave them the hands of his son. And then he put three-day journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob fed the rest of Laban's flocks. See, see, what we see here going on is we see, once again, the shrewd and deceitful ways of Laban once again rising to the service. See, Jacob had his plan, and God knew, knew both sides of the deal what was going to happen, just like God knew what was going to happen after I got here for, after a few months. And God still brought glory to himself by working out the situation. And God knew that Laban was a scoundrel. And here what we see is the shrewd and deceitful ways of Laban again rising to the service. And even though Laban willingly agreed to the deal, we see that Jacob, because Jacob said, just let me go through the flocks. Remember? But before Jacob could even go through the flocks, Laban took them all away took all the spotted and the speckled animals and he sent them away with his son three days journey from the other animals. And in doing so, what was left? Only the purebred. (coughs) Only the purebred animals were left. And Laban did this to ensure that none of the purebred animals could be bred with the spotted or the speckled. And so this maneuver by Laban meant that apart from an occasional recessive gene popping up and allowing for a spotted or speckled animal to be born, it meant that Jacob would now have very few animals that he would be able to call his own if things went according to nature or naturally. But we serve a God who is supernatural. Now, if Jacob had been in this situation... Excuse me, now if I had been in Jacob's situation, which I have been in different instances and you too, you know what? I might have begun to worry about the deal that I just made. What the heck? God, you this was your plan. Right? Remember, even if the, the off-breeds had been with, with the pure breeds, even if they had been left, the odds were against Jacob. Greatly against Jacob. And even though Jacob had been. Had, had enacted faith by making this deal, I'm sure he did not expect that Laban would then separate the flock like he had done. And I expect that Jacob was probably feeling a little bit desperate and wondering what, what is he going to do now? Because that's what happened in those, in those moments, right? Where everything changes. And When we stepped out in faith, we go, what am I going to do now? And I was never a part of the plan that God called me to step out in faith and trust and walk with him in. And when we read on, we see that Jacob does some pretty strange things in order to change, to try to change the situation to his favor. But even though Jacob tried to foolishly help God out by doing some really foolish things that seemed wise to him or wise to the world, the fact of the matter is is that Jacob did not lose hope. He did stick to the plan and to his part of the agreement to feed the rest of Laban's flocks. He did. And in doing so, Jacob was able to look beyond what he could see or what he had to understand. And in doing so, God did a miraculous thing and showed himself strong on Jacob's behalf. Now, I don't know about you, but there have been times, like I've shared, where I have stepped out in faith like Jacob and was willing to do what God had asked. <sighs> um, something, mind you, that didn't already make any sense to me. But I was willing to trust God and to do what He had asked. Sometimes with some wrestling with God and working it out, but, but God always was faithful to bring me to that place and He still is today where I would submit to Him and to His plan. However, like Jacob, what I know is that once I took that step of faith, the thing that I agreed to do was not what I thought it was going to be. You ever been in that situation where God said, hey, do this. And you take that step of faith and all of a sudden, what you thought it was going to be isn't what it is. And in that moment, I thought, God, I don't have enough faith for these circumstances. These other ones that I thought it was, God, I had faith in that, for that. As if God in his all-knowing ways and in his all-powerfulness and in his, in, his, in his ever-presence was only enough for these limited things that I could see. I didn't have enough faith for those circumstances. I only had enough faith for the circumstances that I thought I was getting into. And not only did I complain and whine, again, the complaining part of it, right? About not signing up for this, God. The temptation in that situation where I now felt desperately trapped was to find a way of escape or try to figure out what I could do to help myself out, to help God out. Yet in doing so, I sought to rely on my own faith or rely on myself in a faith situation where God was the only one reliable and where he was the only one that could really take care of the problem I was facing. The problem was already too much for me. That's why God called me out in faith. And now that the problem was bigger, why do we think that all of a sudden we could bring something to the mix to help God out? But the fact of the matter is, is even when there is no possible way, God makes a way. And God made a way here, and he did the unexpected, and, and he did so for Jacob. And in verse 37, in these final verses, it says, Now Jacob took for himself rods of green poplar and almond and chestnut trees and peeled the white stripes in them and expressed and exposed the white which was in them. And we know he took these sprouts is what they were, pieces of these trees, and put them in the ground at these watering places before the, before the, the sheep. And it was just happened to be the most likely place where, where they would where they would breed. And, and he goes through this whole thing, and it says, but, but he also did a little bit of selective breeding, which is wise farming. But in the end, it says in verse 43, thus the man became exceedingly prosperous and had large flocks, female and male servants, and camels and donkeys. Justin, if you and Rich want to come up, we're going to close with this and head into our time of prayer. But these final verses, they, they detail um, basically... The detail of the fact that, more so than the, than the, than the rods and, and what was going on there, the detail for us that Jacob did his part. Jacob cared for the flocks like he had agreed to. And really, this accounts another six-year period of time of Jacob's life. And during this time, we're told how Jacob became a very wealthy man, and it was clear that it was because of his faith. Not because of what Jacob did, it was because of his faith and because of the blessing of God. With that being mentioned, it's important to point out that these peeled sticks that Jacob set before the animals when, when breeding was taking place, they really bela- they belonged in the same category as Rachel's mandrakes. We remember that from last week, we were studying how Rachel was desperate to conceive, to give birth. And, and, and remember, she was barren and she was trying to conceive, and so she actually sold her time with her husband to Leah, her sister, for some of the mandrakes that had been found by one of Leah's sons. Yet, the mandrakes, even though they were believed to have a fertility benefit, the fact of the matter is, is they, like these sticks of Jacob, they were only a superstitious practice. They were foolishness. And they didn't help Rachel conceived, and they had no bearing here on what color of animal was being born. If you don't believe me, go look at anybody who raises sheep or goats today and they don't do this. It's not scientifically proven. It's foolishness. But guys, that's exactly what it is for us. Is it not? When we step out into those situations and things change or we enter into a faith moment and we go, God, I'm going to help you out. And we apply our wisdom or the world's wisdom to God's ways and God's understanding and his foolishness in the eyes of God. And we're out there peeling sticks and putting them in the ground and, and God, our Father's looking down and he's going, what are you doing? Oh, these are going to bring four spotted and speckled, Lord. No, 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 they're not. Stop. Just sit. Rest. Rest in me. But the cool thing about this, guys, is in spite of Jacob's foolishness, God was faithful. And that's a wonderful message for us this morning. In spite of our foolishness, God was faithful. And God was doing this for Jacob in spite of his foolishness because God, back in Genesis 28, when he was first going to this land, when he was fleeing from his brother, God had promised Jacob to bless him. And Jacob prospered because God kept his promise. And since Laban had agreed to Jacob's terms, God's plan, he could do nothing. And all these animals belonged to Jacob. Lord, we thank you, God, that you are the king of kings and the Lord of lords and that you're our dad And that we're your kids. And Father, you have a good plan and a good purpose for each one of our lives. And we know, God, that this plan and this purpose, this life that you've called us to is truly a a walk of faith. And I pray, God, that you would strengthen our faith again this morning. And God, that you would reveal to us perhaps These situations in our own lives, Lord, where we are sticking peeled sticks into the ground, trying to bring forth something in our own strength, in our own wisdom, in a way that seems right to us. When you clearly, God, have told us this is what you do and this is how you do it, trust in me. I pray, God, that we would trust in you. I pray, God, that we would stop putting those sticks in the ground, that we would let you work supernaturally. And, Lord, that we would just sit back, rest in you, glorify you, give praise to you, and let you, God, do the wonderful work that you promised to do in our lives and through our lives. And as we come together this this, this morning, Lord, and to, to to worship you with these last two songs and to, to pray to you, God, and to offer up... Um, the things that are in our heart, the things that we need, our requests for others. God, we come to you knowing that you have a perfect plan and that you will answer them according to your will. Father, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, uh, if the prayer leaders will come up front and make way, um, Justin's going to lead us in a couple songs of worship. And I really would encourage you guys this morning, something's on your heart, you need to be praying.